0: If you have your Bibles, would you take them and uh or your mobile device, whatever you use for the Word of God for your worship time. But turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter twenty. And we're going to continue our our journey, our little walk through the, the Ten Commandments. Um over the years, the Ten Commandments have um you know as well as I do, they've been the source of controversy and, and all sorts of things. And uh, I saw a humorous cartoon. These uh, two uh, school administrators were kind of standing there by the front entrance of their school. And uh, you kind of get the sense that school had just taken in for the for the new year. And uh, they were showing off the latest uh, piece of technology for student safety. And it was this fancy detector thingy that people would walk through. Kind of like what happens when you go to the airport and you're boarding a flight. And it was, it was just, and you walk through it and, and one administrator was turning to the other and he was telling him how, how great this piece of equipment, a uh, piece of equipment was. And, and he said, well, <clears throat> what does it, um, what does it actually pick up? What does it detect? He says, well, all sorts of, of dangerous things. Um, you know, it, when the light comes on, it, it detects maybe a knife, uh, maybe a, a weapon, a gun of some sort. And, and, and whatever they're trying to smuggle, uh, smuggle in and, and stuff. And, and, and if there's like bomb stuff or chemicals or whatever, and, and it'll also pick up copies of the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Okay, well, um, that's the precise reason why I don't do a lot of jokes from the pulpit because uh, maybe it's execution or whatever. Uh, but yeah, no matter what, we look or have seen evidences where the Ten Commandments have just caused controversy. What's interesting is that um, when you look at the commandments, you you can kind of see why Uh, people don't like the Ten Commandments. People don't like being told that they may be worshiping idols. People don't like to be told what to do on their Sundays. People don't like to be told, you know, that they can't have anything else to worship other than God. People don't like to be told that they can't go out and have a little fun outside their marriage. People don't like to be told that that it's wrong to kind of put up a false front and, and come off as something that you really aren't. But there's one commandment that almost every culture understands as being valid and almost zero controversy has ever been attached to it. You know what it is? Commandment number six, thou shalt not kill. If you think about it, almost every uh, um, country or, or culture on the face of this earth has something that is a, a prohibition against just the, just a willful, just taking the life of someone else. You know, the, them being the judge and the juror and the executioner all in one. We have those laws in our books, homicide and negligent homicide and, and manslaughter charges, all sorts of things on our books of law that tell us that in some degree or another, it is wrong. It's funny that in these 10 rules, we, we see one that, that to some degree, everybody can say, yeah, that's not right. Well... Here's where I think it causes the most controversy. It's when we gather in our little groups on Sunday morning and the preacher stands up to preach a message on thou shalt not kill. And he says that this command has actually as much to do about every single one of you than it does a murderer on death row. That's controversial because we don't like to think of ourselves as being that bad of people. We don't like to think that, that we could actually be guilty of something like this. Well, you're right. I don't like to think. I mean, you, you say, Pastor, why do you always talk about this stuff right here? And, and, and don't you know it makes me feel bad? Well, join the crowd. <laughs> I feel bad too. It doesn't. It doesn't help me at all to think that I could have had a murderous intent towards someone else. That I actually could be guilty of breaking this. Commandment. It's so short. Matter of fact, in, in terms of the original language, it is the shortest commandment. It only consists of two Hebrew words, "lo ratzak. That's it, and, and it simply means "don't kill" or "don't murder." It's the shortest one, and and but what does the Bible have in mind when he said, "Thou shalt not murder"? Well. When we look at the Hebrew word, we start to learn some lessons and we learn some things about what God uh, inspired the writer of this book to, to put down uh, in ink uh, and how he wanted this command to come across. And there were certain words that he wanted to make sure was used and actually certain words that were not used. In the Hebrew, there were eight different words that talk about killing, death, murder, things of that nature. Eight different words, and each one of them have a particular uh, usage, and and they have limits to what they are, uh, how they're to be used, and and, and how they're they're meant. What's interesting is that, first of all, this word had no legal meaning whatsoever. It was not a word that was used uh, in the legal system. It was not a word that was used even in the military. There were other Hebrew words that were used uh, when you wanted to carry out the execution of a death sentence uh, or a soldier in combat. There were other words that were used there. Nor was this word in, in in this command, in this sixth command, was it ever used for hunting and killing of animals to, you know, put on your supper table or clothe yourself or whatever the use would have been. So, what does the commandment forbid? Well, here is the commandment in Exodus twenty thirteen. The King James says, "Thou shalt not kill." Uh, maybe the more accurate rendering when we look at this word and what it was intended to tell us is, "Thou shalt not murder." Why murder? Because this word is telling us, and its meaning is this: it doesn't forbid necessarily killing. In certain circumstances, here's what it forbids. Unlawful, unlawful killing of a human being. That was the intent of the verse, the intent of the word. It is an unlawful killing of another human being. Now let's talk about this biblical concept of murder here. And I'm kind of going back into history, kind of looking at, at, you know, kind of circumstances that are in our word. But if you'll hang with me very soon, we're going to kind of tie them to contemporary issues. First of all, in this Use of the word murder. What does it mean? It's this premeditating of an innocent life. A, a deliberate killing of an enemy. Deliberate killing. And it includes all sorts of, of wrong wrongful death. Whether it was a voluntary manslaughter. Whether it was a, a crime of passion. As a matter of fact... Um, the Bible talks about even in deaths that were unintentional, but you had something to do with it. In Deuteronomy chapter four, in verse forty-two, it says, "Unintentionally killed his neighbor without malice forethought. In other words, there was there was this whole parameter in, in which this command was kind of embedded into the into a, a, a cultural concepts. And, and it doesn't take rocket science and it doesn't take all this, you know, uh, uh, extraordinary thought or wisdom to kind of understand what's wrong and what's right in regards to taking life. But to kind of, you know, bring it down home a, a little bit more, a little bit closer to home. You think about what happened to Moses. You remember early and he, you know, and this guy writing this segment of our Bibles here. He's pinning these Ten Commandments, the law of God. And we see early on in his life, he was guilty of the very same thing. You remember when Moses was in Egypt, he was brought up in Pharaoh's household. He didn't realize who he truly was. And you remember that he saw at one time, he he saw this uh, Egyptian worker, his taskmaster, the Bible calls him. And he was beating upon actually one of his own, another Hebrew. And, and this was infuriating him at this time because this time God was really moving in his life. And, and we were starting to see, you know, Moses kind of come around and, and, and God move him from, from an Egyptian household to, to service for God. And you remember he saw what this Egyptian taskmaster had done. And, and you know the story, he killed this Egyptian. And then he ran for his life. What was the big deal there? Because he was everything that God teaches us about justice, and he was all of it rolled up in one. In other words, he, was, he himself was going to become like God and trying to take on the job of God by becoming the judge, the jury, and the executioner. He wanted to be all three rolled up in one. This is where we start looking at kind of contemporary matters regarding murder. You see, he wasn't, he wasn't defending himself. Although today we commonly associate uh, legitimacy of taking one's life when it's, in, uh, when it's meant to protect the life of someone else. That's why our law enforcement officers have that right, that legal ability. That's why you and I, there's laws on the books when we're trying to, uh, we're living at home and, and someone breaks in or you think they're trying to kill you or whatever. We have these, these laws on the books about self-defense. But this wasn't it. Bible even says that it's, uh, it's not unlawful to kill the enemy in wartime. The biggest concern is making sure that that war is, is just. What he's asking us to consider is whether or not it's really right for us to just take the law into our own hands as Moses did. Is that really what needs to be going on? And so that's where we like to just kind of rest our argument. And we'll go off and we'll talk about the other implications of murder. We'll talk about abortion. We'll talk about the death sentence, the death penalty. We'll talk about all those things, but then we forget something. We forget something. We forget that there was a spiritual context to this passage as well. You see, everything about the Ten Commandments was fulfilled in the coming of Christ. That's what Jesus said. I have not come to do away with the law, but I have actually come to... Fulfill it. It's like, for instance, you take a balloon and you have it in your hand. You, you, you buy a little bag there and you take a balloon out of the bag and you place it in your hand. and You see you have a balloon, right? And maybe on that balloon are some inscriptions. Happy birthday, happy anniversary, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, retirement, something or other. We use them for celebration. So there may be something imprinted, but you can't see it really well. You can kind of make it out. But you don't see every detail. It's not until you put air into the balloon and you blow it up. And and when it's blown up, that's when you're able to see the big picture. You're able to see the full message. That's kind of what Jesus was talking about here in the New Testament. He says, I didn't come to do away with it. I'm actually taking it and I am making it bigger. I'm going to make it mean the things that it was really meant to mean. And so, therefore, when Jesus is saying that, he's telling us that even in this sixth command, in Exodus 20, verse 13, that there are some spiritual implications here. And it comes back to what I started out in the beginning that there are times when we, the church, we're here on a Sunday morning and you may be guilty of murder. Because Jesus means that this verse and intends that this verse is going to be more than just issues of physical life and death, but also spiritual. Life and death. What are we talking about? Well, when we murder, even physically, that's one thing. you know, the book of Proverbs says that rash words are like the thrusts of a sword. Have you ever thought that you could kill people with your language? You can wound, mortally wound, the spirit of someone by the things you say and how you say it. Jesus declared in Matthew chapter 5 that even anger towards someone is, Is the same thing. It is equivalent. Draw an equal mark. It is the same thing as committing murder. Why is it such a big deal? Because sometimes we forget that when God created the universe, He didn't create it because He was bored. He didn't create you and I because He was just looking for something to do. The Bible says that He created you and me in God's image. That's a big deal. Because now, when we look at this command, thou shalt not murder. We're not only wounding mortally, fatally, uh, killing off Someone with our words or literally with a gun, we've actually done damage to the image of God. That may be the greatest significance to the crime of murder when we are bringing damage to what God said was very good when it was created. John Calvin wrote, our neighbor bears the image of God, and to use him, abuse or mis- misuse him is to violence is to do violence to the person of God who images himself in every human soul. Furthermore, we see that God not only is reflected his image is reflected in humanity, but the Bible declares that he and he alone is able to know our life's end or beginning and also end, and has sovereignty over it. Listen to these verses, Job one twenty one, The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job 14, 5. The days of humans are determined. You have decreed the number of their months and have set limits they cannot exceed. Acts 17, verse 25 and 26 nor is he, that is God, served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live. So when we, are, when we diminish the value of human life, what are we doing? We, we are robbing God of his glory. He has declared some things to be very holy. And one of the things that I believe he has declared to be very holy, very special, is your existence. He has declared that the fetus is in his image. His glory bears upon that little one still in the womb. God has declared that his image and his glory is upon that invalid in a nursing home who cannot do anything from a part of two hands or four hands laid upon him or her to help them just to get through the day. And yet we have seen in our society attack on both sides. On those who are most vulnerable from the fetus to the elderly. That's where it's at. We've seen it. And it makes us wonder, what rules are they going to come up with next to move the goalposts in just a little bit more? You see, why murder is such a big deal to you and I? Yes, it's because it's, it's affecting the image of God. Yes, it's bringing uh, a, 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 an abandonment of God's glory. Yes, it's, it's wounding all that. Listen to what the psalmist said in verses in chapter 118, verse 17. I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. In other words, our existence is meant to give God glory every second with every fiber of our being. And when we wound that physically or spiritually, we are taking away someone's ability to live for God's glory. It's a big deal. One commentator said, a person may not be killed for this reason that he is either actually or potentially someone who declares God's praise. And therefore, anybody who kills another person thereby robs God. And when I look at illustrations of this played out in real life, I go no further than my own childhood Now, I was too small to witness this firsthand, or I did witness it firsthand, but I was too small to remember it. It was told to me by my parents. We were attending a church, and at that time, the church was undergoing tremendous growth, and uh, we were uh, just enjoying what God was blessing upon our congregation. And very soon, we found ourselves needing more space. We had to build. If we didn't build uh, we didn't know what we were going to do. And so uh, just like in many churches, the committees were formed and they went out and did the research. And when they made their presentation, a very vocal couple. And I was I was uh, uh, it was kind of relate to me in this story. It said it was one vocal couple who stood up in a business meeting. It's one thing to declare that I don't really see eye to eye with that. But they went on a tirade. My mom and dad said that they, at one point, they declared uh, 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 that the new building was was like unto a horse barn. That's what they would be building, and they didn't need all that stuff. My parents' leader said that uh, after that meeting was over, it the most sour tone just kind of fell over the crowd. And likely so. To this day, and this was in 1977, to this day, that church has never grown. They've never built a single thing. It was almost as if the wind was just sucked out. Don't think that your words don't have an impact on other people. And it can kill and wound the spirit of a church. It can wound and kill the, the movement of God. You can see that this text here is more than just, thou shalt not murder, don't pick up a gun, fire it off, and whatever. Whatever. This this text right here actually speaks to our value and our whole purpose for being here. That's that's actually where this command is kind of positive because he values your life so much that he put you here for a reason. He created every single one of you for his glory, that you will declare and praise his name. You can run from it. You can pretend that you don't have what it takes. You can act like it. You can, you can ignore and turn away from it, but it does not erase the truth. You were put here for a reason. Did you know that God knew before our grandparents were even born that on this day, August the 16th, 2015, he knew that, that at a 1045 worship service, all of you would be gathered here with me and that I would be preaching this morning's message. If he knew that, if he knows that Lord willing, we'll all be here next week and the week after, he knows what you're going to be doing tomorrow. If he has sovereignly designed your life this way, do you not think that he's got a wondrous plan for you? This text Yes, it talks about the the, the things that are wrong, but it also talks about the things that are right. He loves you with all of his heart, with all that he is, with all of God that we can even imagine God is. He loves you and says, I do not want a life taken where you sit where I am supposed to sit. Whatever authority I'm going to give to you. And we know that the Bible does speak of authority given to the state for, for, uh, for uh, death penalties. We know that God has given power to the state for, for wars. And, and th- even he, he sent his own people to war. We know that God has justified that cultures can, to preserve the sanctity of life, can go out and take that life if necessary. But that also too speaks of his value for human life. As a matter of fact, He loves you so much. And and this is where folks get get really kind of, you know, um, kind of confused. He, he, He says that I value you so much that you're, you're not going to worship me properly. You're not going to worship me properly until you have that mindset within yourself. Do you know how you know I would say that? It comes straight from Matthew 5. You remember the text I just told you a moment ago that our anger, you, you remember Jesus says, you've heard, right? Thou shalt not murder, but I'm going to tell you if you have hatred for that person, if you are angry towards that person, it's like the same thing. You've killed them within your own heart. Right after that text, this is what he says. Therefore, you go and make amends with that person. You remember what he said? He says, suppose that you find yourself coming to the altar to present your gift. In other words, you're getting ready to worship. You You're getting ready at your home and you're running late for church. And you're going to come and present your little gift, whatever it may be. And he says, there you remember that you've wronged someone. He says, you better leave that uh, gift at the altar and you go. In other words, you will stop your worship and go fix what was wrong and what you did that was wrong before you can come back. You know why he said it this way? This is this is kind of actually bothered me for a long time. Why would he say stop worship? I thought it was like the coolest thing ever, right? No. How can you worship where you just fatally wounded his image? It doesn't work that way. Fix the image, then you come and worship. This the, the, this text is not only about all the social stuff, but yes, it's about spiritual stuff. But guys, this this thing, right? Boy, if if none of the commands ever speaks to you, I think this one ought to, because it's going to motivate us to to think about things. I, I believe a little bit different. Let me give you let me give you three points. Very, I'm going to give you a positive point. I'm going to give you a, a call to action. I'm going to give you a negative point. Okay, here's the positive one. It's number one. Every life matters. I'm not trying to be political when I say it. I know that's all in the news, but but that's just what it means. Every life matters. That means your life matters. That means the guy with dreadlocks and different pigmentation of skin, his life is worth just as much as yours. It means that the person who doesn't dress like you, his and her life matters. The prostitute on the corner her life matters. Every life matters. We teach the kids, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Here's how we sing it. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in In his sight. But the church reserves the right. That's how we've been singing it. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to good works beforehand. In other words, he was thinking about you before there was no you. He was thinking about the impact that you were going to make on this world before you even were brought into this world. Every life matters. You say, Pastor, I have wasted so much of my life. That's okay. My good friends, Clayton Clower, I like what he said, it's better to start late than to finish early. It's better to start late and realize that God's got a plan for your life than to quit quit early. Let me say it that way. Your life matters. Here's our call to action. Number two, the church must be prepared to give answer to the social concerns and abuses regarding the sanctity of life. Long gone are the days when a church could hang a banner by the roadside saying abortion kills a life, and that's all that we would say. I have several problems with that phrase. Number one, it doesn't say enough. Number two, it also says something to that young girl or that young couple who just drove by that sign on their way from an abortion clinic. Where is the words that they need to hear? We, the church, must begin giving more answers to the things that's wrong with this world. I believe that our God, as we look this past Wednesday night, if you've not been joining us on our uh, journey through the through the uh, minor prophets, you know we talked about that our God and the gospel is a social gospel. It addresses the things that are wrong with our society. And we've got to be saying those things too. Our silence has been costing us, church. Did you know that? All we've been saying about a lot of things is that is wrong. What else can we say? What else is there to say? See, another thing I've got that, 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 against these signs that churches can put up on the roadside about abortion, it's not even the argument anymore. Did you realize that, that folks who that, that, that are surveyed and you talk to them, they understand that it kills a life. They understand that. They don't have a problem with that. Their dialogue is going to be about personhood. It's not a viable person. How many of you are ready to have that discussion with someone this week? When does God establish personhood? By the way, that's also the same argument you'll hear on end of life issues as well. Let's just pull the plug. They don't need the feeding tube. Let's not worry about resuscitative measures. That's what they would have wanted. Can we just say something right here? Just in case y'all are by my bedside, I want to live on this earth as long as possible. Not because I'm not ready to go. I am. But if God can use me here, then keep me here. Right? Why? Because I'm a viable person. God has decreed and numbered my days. When we don't start having those hard conversations and talk about forgiveness We're not talking enough with those who are already struggling with issues of life and death, with abortion in their history, with a situation where they had a loved one and maybe a wrong decision was made about ending their life prematurely. Number three, here's here's the negative kind of connotation here. I have the ability... To destroy that which is precious to God through careless words and behavior. I have the ability, I'm talking about Chris Woodard. I have the ability to destroy that which is precious to God through careless words and behavior. You do too. You've got that ability. Have you ever said anything you've come to regret? Ever had that conversation you wish you'd just go back in time and change what you said? Ever had those words and as soon as it left the end of your tongue, you saw the countenance fall? There's a Christian author. Some of you may have read his books. His name is Frank Peretti. He writes Christian fiction and kind of the different angle on Christian fiction, but it's uh, he's had some popular books nonetheless. In his biography that he wrote, his autobiography, it's called The Wounded Spirit. I've read it and it just moves me every time that I've read it or, or think about what I have read. Maybe you've read it, but in his book called The Wounded Spirit, Frank Peretti had some Uh, physical issues with him that was presented some disfigurement to his mouth and uh, to this area of his face. And he was uh, chided over it a lot during his childhood years and was made fun of. He had this statement in his book and it just, it broke my heart to read it when he wrote. He said, for years... I believed in monsters because I was told that I was one. He grew up, and his his uh, childhood is reflected in the stuff that he writes to this day. But he talks about God's great love for him as he was, and God's great love for you as you are. And we've got to remember our words. They mean things. And by the way, the Bible says that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there is never a time when you are allowed to say, I didn't mean that. It wouldn't have come out unless it was already here. And let me me say a few things to my students here. Let me talk to you girls real quick. Since we're talking about image, I want you to understand that God has already determined the value of your image. It's not based upon a number on a weight scale. It's not based upon the friends that you have or don't have. It's not based upon your Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter account. Your value is also not based upon some boy. Your value has already been determined. You're a princess. And God thinks a whole lot of you, and he's got you here for a reason. Young men, God's got his hands on you too. He has created you to be modern day knights. Whether you're being trained like that at home, I cannot say. I don't know. But that's what he's created you to be. He's created you to make a difference in this world. You may not think that you're worthy of it, but you'd be wrong. Everybody else, I told y'all before, that's a, you all before, you're going to see, I think, the greatest movement and awakening in the church by the generations that are going to be coming after us. Because there's leadership now in the church that we're, we're talking to them about things and saying things to them and equipping them in ways that you and I were not equipped when we were students, when we were teenagers. But let me tell you this. God's not done with you yet either. And you've got a lot left to accomplish. There's a lot that you have left to do. There's a lot of things yet to do. Still undone. But He's waiting on you. Because He created you for a reason. He put you here for a purpose. Is His design that has you right here in this moment in your life. And he says, you will not murder. You will not take unlawfully that which I have put on the face of this earth to bring glory to my name. You want to grow the kingdom? You want to make a difference in this world? You want to see mighty movements of God in our students and in our communities and around the world? you love them and you recognize their value as i have loved and recognized their value you do not murder see at the end of the day this verse what it boils down to is is just really a, a love for 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 two things number one the love for god and a love for his image which is you you were created in his image i his values are going to be my values. What he regards as, as holy and as sacred regarding life, I will regard as holy and sacred to human life. And I'm going to love others. And we're going to work extra hard, not just on loving each other here. I think it's easy to love each other here. We're going to love the ones who don't share our worldview. God forbid I ask for a show of hands on how many of you love Ben Carson more than you do Hillary Clinton this morning. But I can guarantee you inside of some hearts, there's going to be a difference. God says every life matters. And we need to love those, especially whom we don't see eye to eye with, socially or politically, or whatever else there is to to not see eye to eye on. We're going to show them that they were created for a purpose, that they have a place in this world and not mortally wound their spirit through reckless words or behavior. You see, guys, the danger is not the Ten Commandments. Danger is not in this command here. The danger is our ignorance to the value of human life into the image of God you see you thought this was just going to be a sermon about you know murder and only murder in the traditional sense this command is about how we look at one another and how we treat one another that's what I'm going to challenge you to think about this morning. That's what I'm, I'm going to have you to respond to this morning. I don't know how you're going to because know I don't know, know the individual struggles you're going through. I'm just going to ask you to make an assessment of how valuable the image of God is to your life. How big of a deal is it to you? Especially to those whom you don't really, you don't really identify with. There's a lot of people I don't identify with, but their value and their worth is not based upon my identification with them. All I know is I'm called to respond in love to them. What about reckless words and behavior? What about the wounding you may have done to someone? Are you willing to leave your gift at the altar and go make amends with that person? What are you willing to do this morning to just kind of take account of your heart and see how you measure up with the Lord? Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, that you have already determined who I am. You've declared my value and my relevance in this world long before anyone else had anything to say or do about it. You put me here for a reason. You put everyone here for a purpose and for a reason. Father, I pray that, that if there's a lost soul here this morning, that they will recapture their value and their worth through the gospel of Jesus Christ turning everything over to you, receiving forgiveness of sins in their life and to be placed where you need to place them. Father, I pray for the one who's been been struggling over um, maybe issues of their past. Things that they've said, things that they've done. and They want God to forgive them and Maybe they need forgiveness from someone else too. Lord, I pray that you would help to restore those relationships. Father, I pray for us as a church that we would start having the hard conversations once again. Ask the hard questions. Get into the lives of other people and it's going to be messy, but but in the midst of all that mess, we show them a Savior who loves them. Father, I pray that as we respond this morning that, Lord, we would, um, we would have your will to be accomplished in our lives. In Jesus' name.